This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. You ready to study God's Word together? Turn to Acts chapter 1. Turn to Acts chapter 1. And while you're turning, one of the factors that makes the English language so difficult to learn is because we use many of the same words to describe very differing things. Um, For example, if you use the word drift in different sentences, they're going to mean different things in different circumstances. For example, if you use the term drift in the context of a snow skier, they're going to really love that word. Because a skier really wants the drifts to be high. Because if the snow drifts are high, it's going to make for a better day uh, on the slopes. But if you use the term drift to a captain or a sailor, that could actually mean their life. Because when you're on the seas and you begin drifting, it could be because your instrument, your instrumentation has been messed up. It could be because you've lost one two, or even all of your engines, and now you are literally at the mercies of the sea and the wind, and and that wind can cause your ship to drift even to your your ultimate demise because it can make you drift even up against uh, the the, the land, which would cause uh, really big destruction if you're a captain or a sailor. If you think about being on the highway and you were a truck driver, if you start drifting just a little bit, do you know if, you're, if your vehicle is just a slight bit out of, line, of, out of alignment and you are not there to correct it to make sure you stay straight, you will begin drifting. And before you know, you'll hit, you, you will hit the, the, the gradient side of the, of the road and then you'll get the warning that you're about to go into danger or you will literally drive off the side of the road. See, drift can be a really good thing in a remote setting, but it can also be a really bad thing in a lot of other settings, especially if you are commandeering a very large mode of transportation like an airplane or a ship or an 18-wheeler. There are a lot of ways that we can think about the term drift, but missiologists will use the term mission drift. And what mission drift means is that that a church or a Christian ministry, if not careful, can begin drifting away from that which God has called us to do. As a matter of fact, I can make an argument to you that the natural bent of the human heart is to drift. Our natural bent, our natural default is to drift away from that which God has wired us to do and that which he has called us to do. And there are a whole host of reasons for that. Sometimes it's circumstantial. Our circumstances become very overwhelming to us and we're focused very intently on what's going on in our lives and it can really skew what it is that God has told us to be true or to what he's called us towards. Sometimes it can simply be desires. There's discontentment that rises up in our hearts and we begin longing for things we don't have or we start longing for experiences we haven't experienced before and before long we start drifting away from that which God has called us to do. Sometimes it happens because of culture. Cultures change. What people want changes And so sometimes church leaders 
or directors of different mission organizations can become much more pragmatic in their approach to mission and we simply look for what works or what can get people through the door and before long we have drifted away from that which God has called us towards, the central mission that he wants us to be about. One of the things I love about reading the book of Acts is when you get in, if you get in a helicopter view of the book of Acts, you just start seeing traits and practices and disciplines that characterized the, the first church, the early church in the first century. And one of the reasons I love reading the book of Acts is because it, it reminds me of what is core and what is central. Because I am just as guilty of mission drift or pragmatism as any other pastor could be. And I myself need to be constantly brought back in alignment to what God's mission is and what what He wants us to be about so that I don't start drifting. Because if I start drifting, I'm going to take a whole lot of people with me, right? This morning, I want us to have a little bit of a heart check, both as individual followers of Jesus Christ, but also as a church of Jesus Christ. And you will see in your notes that what I've titled today is Pray, Give, Go 2020. You remember last year we we talked a lot about hashtag bigger than me. And we kind of carried that theme throughout a lot of what we did in 2019. And and what, what I really want to call us back towards in 2020 is to pray, give, go. Because I really believe that praying, giving, and going is at the core of Christian mission. It's at the core of our individual calling as disciple makers and now as a group, as a body of Christ, which we are a corporate body of individual disciple makers, which we are a church, of a, it's a disciple making church, is I want to make sure that we have at the focus that, that, that we're not drifting and that we're not desiring something else at the expense of the core of Christ's mission. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you three practices, these three practices of praying, giving, and going that we see in the early church. And as we see these things and see these practices, I want you to see these as practices that will guard your heart from mission drift. And as your heart is being guarded from mission drift, it will guard our church from mission drift. And as we look at these things today, I want to ask them to you in the form of a question. Because as we looked last week in the scriptures, when Emilio led us through uh, the psalm last week, I challenge you at the end that reading and studying the scriptures is never an end in and of itself. That we're not simply here to learn information. But we want the scriptures, the truth of Jesus Christ, to so saturate our hearts that the, that the truth is starting to come into contact with who I am and what I hold dear. And, want, and I want to be changed to be more in the likeness of Him. And so this morning, I want to ask these in the form of questions to allow the Holy Spirit to touch your heart and to challenge you and to help you consider how you might live on mission with Christ in this new year. You ready for it? All right, let's look at number one. Three practices to guard against mission drift. So we're going to look first at the pray of the pray, give, go. So I'm going to ask you this question. Will you pray fervently in the year 2020? As a follower of Jesus Christ and as a church who wants to honor Jesus with our lives and what we have and to be on mission with him, will you pray 
fervently. And this adverb is very important for us today. Because I want you to know, I'm not asking you simply, will you pray? I'm asking you, will you pray fervently? I'm going to explain what that means as we walk through this section. But I want you to start in Acts chapter 1 with me. I'm going to take you through several places in the book of Acts. And we don't have time to walk through exhaustively to see what this looks like in the early church. But you're going to get a picture pretty quickly. In Acts chapter 1, the task that the disciples are about is they need to replace the fallen disciple Judas. And so they choose Matthias to replace Judas. And when you look at verse 14, after they appoint Matthias as this new apostle, look at what the text says. It says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Look at that word. It says they were devoting themselves to prayer. You turn one page in your Bible over to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, you see really a summary of how the early church lived together. And in verse 42, at the very beginning, this is what Luke writes. He says, and they devoted themselves to a few things here. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. You're going to start seeing a pattern here. Turn with me over at chapter 6. In chapter 6, this is where the apostles recognize that there are a lot of other needs that are going on in this young church. And they are needs that the apostles themselves can't meet all of them. And so what they do is they appoint deacons, other servants, who would be able to carry on a lot of the work of the ministry in this early church. And so they appoint these, these deacons. And in verse 4, this is what it says in response. This is the apostles. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Fast forward over to Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, the apostle James has been killed. The apostle Peter has been imprisoned. Now, if you were the young band of followers following these young leaders, you would be at a big crisis of belief moment here. What is going on? And so Peter is imprisoned. And in verse 5, look at what it says. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Even while Peter was in prison, the band of followers, the Christ followers back home at, at Peter's home church, they were fervently, earnestly praying for Peter. And then you go down to verse 12 after Peter is released and he goes back to his young uh, young faith family. This is what the text says. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. I want you to see one more thing in Acts chapter 14, and then we're going to talk about what this means for us. In Acts chapter 14, Paul, Barnabas, and their companions, they are on mission. They are going through all of these Mediterranean cities, preaching the name of Jesus. And when you look at verse 21, it says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now don't miss this in verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here's what I want you to see through all of these examples in the early church. 
We see these early disciples devoting themselves to prayer. You actually see that word over and over again, didn't we? So they devoted themselves to prayer. They prayed formally. They prayed informally. They prayed individually. They prayed corporately. They prayed wherever they went. They prayed proactively in advance of certain circumstances that happened. And then they prayed reactively in response to some circumstances that happened. They prayed for the preaching. They prayed before eating. They prayed for the sick. They prayed for the advance of the mission. They prayed in the midst of persecution. They prayed in jail, out of jail, and their praying actually shook the very gates of hell. The early church was a praying church. I wonder this morning if someone were writing a narrative of the life of Mill City Church, would they say that Mill City Church is a praying church? church. I wonder if someone were writing a biography of your life or of my life, would they say of us like Luke did of Jesus in Luke 5:16 that Jesus was often or constantly withdrawing to be alone with the Father in prayer? Would they say that same thing about you? Would they say that same thing about me? You see, I believe that one of the reasons why organizations or churches or Christians can experience mission drift where we just get off of center of what God's mission is, is because we do not earnestly pray for the mission. We don't pray for our leaders We don't pray for our pastors. We don't pray for our elders. We're not praying constantly for our brothers and sisters as they are on mission in their workplaces or in their schools. We're not praying regularly for the sick. We're not praying regularly for the lost. And then what so often we do is even when we come together in prayer, we're we're praying about important things. We're, We're praying that we might have a good day or we might be praying that we would be remedied from this sin issue that we have but so often can we be honest this morning so many times even when we gather together our prayers are simply not much more than God bless him and help him have a good day I want you to hear my heart I do believe that God wants us to pray about all things great and small I believe the scriptures, when the scriptures tell us in Philippians 4 that we should pray about everything. And I believe that everything means everything that is dear to us or that we're passionate about. But friends, when you look at the early church and how fervently and how earnestly they were praying for the advance of the mission and how they were praying for the lost, and how they were praying for new Christians, and how they were praying for new open doors for the sake of the gospel, and we juxtapose our lives and our practices up against theirs, can't we be honest this morning and say we have a lot of growth to do in our own lives when it comes to praying? And so what I want to ask you this morning is that in 2020, with Pray, Give, Go, will you pray fervently. Now we're going to help you to this end. And and if you've been around Mill City for a little bit of time, you'll recognize that in our worship guides, weekend and week out, we have a section in there called for focused prayer. And our heart behind this as leadership is that we want to help you pray more widely for the mission of God. 
We want you to pray more specifically for spiritual realities in your life and our church's life, as well as for the advance of the mission across the globe. And we're, we want to help you towards that end. And we're going to do that even more so in 2020 and give you tools with which you might grow your steadfastness in prayer and praying for the mission. But I wonder this morning, are, are, you, are you even there now? Are, are you utilizing the tools that we've given you week in and week out through our worship guides and our digital platforms? If you're not, I want to implore you to at least start there. At least start in that place. Otherwise, it's simply words on a screen or it's simply toner on paper. We don't want that to be reality. We, we, we want every Christ follower who is a part of our ministry and our mission to be uniting steadfastly around these realities. I want you to think about it in your community groups. As you are breaking apart, breaking a, a, a way to pray each week, week in and week out in your community groups, and you are praying together in a smaller group with inside of your small group, I want to challenge you to be praying more missionally in your praying. Sure, we should pray for each other and encourage each other where we can. If someone is struggling, we should pray for them. If someone has a sick grandmother, we should pray for Mima. all right? That's a good thing. But I believe that God wants us to pray for more than that. So would you utilize these resources to pray for the lost, praying for the advance of God's mission, because one of the reasons why we begin drifting away from God's mission is we're not praying for God's mission. And if we are praying for God's mission, it's just simply a little phrase here, a little phrase there. But we don't see that in the book of Acts. The great writer E.M. Bounds said this, Around us is a world lost in sin. Above us is a God willing and able to save. It is ours to build the bridge that links heaven and earth. And prayer is the mighty instrument that does the work. So this morning, as you think about 2020, will you pray fervently? Second question, as we think about pray, give, go, let's look at the give. Will you give sacrificially? Will you give sacrificially? Now, in the book of Acts, we see that the gospel of Jesus Christ did not just give these early Christ followers a ticket to heaven. That they didn't simply see their lives as a Christ follower now in light of going to heaven when they die. But instead, what we see is that the gospel of Jesus Christ not only gives us eternal hope, but the gospel of Jesus Christ also gives us earthly transformation. Because what the gospel did among these first century followers is the gospel transformed their approach to life and how they treated others and even how they managed their resources and their belongings in light of the needs of others. We see this first in Acts chapter 2. In that summary paragraph in Acts chapter 2 about the practices of these first Christians, we read this in verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And just in case we think this was a one-off, if you'll turn the page 
and go over to Acts chapter 4, you can pick up with me in verse 32. Here's another summary paragraph. Saying, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need." Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now there are many different ways that we can apply these practices of the first century Christians. And there are even debates among honest, wholehearted, uh, wholeheartedly devoted Christ followers on how to apply this. But, but let, let's at least know what's going on here and what's not going on here. Well, what's not going on here is an early form of communism. And, and there are those who have advocated for this. There are, there are even Christians who would say that this is a foundational proof text that socialism or communism is a biblical form of government. That would be missing the point of this passage altogether. Because don't forget the fact that these people were actually meeting in their homes. People actually owned houses they had possessions. And so this isn't communism. This isn't socialism. Instead, what it is, is you see that the gospel had so transformed these people's hearts that they held on to their belongings and their possessions and their wealth very loosely because they recognized that what they had wasn't ultimately theirs, that there was nothing that they had that God had not blessed them with and there was nothing that God had given to them that he did not want them to use to leverage for the sake of his mission, for the sake of his gospel, and for the good of others who might be in need. Now here's how this plays out in our church here at Mill City. Now what we believe as a Bible-believing church, as a gospel-preaching church, is that God desires his people to give sacrificially to his mission. And the primary recipient of those resources should be your local church. We simply believe that here at Mill City. So when you think about the amount of money that you give and you leverage for the kingdom of God, an overwhelming majority of that, we believe biblically, should be coming into your local church. Now that doesn't preclude you from giving to other missions causes or other missionaries, but we just simply believe that a majority of that should be given to your local church. We also believe here that 10% is not the goal of the Christian life. It's not the ceiling of Christian giving, but it's actually the floor of Christian giving. That, that you start there, but as you go through your life and as God increases you financially, then you should also increase the percentage you give to God's mission. And I'm so thankful for the examples I've seen in my own life who do this? I'm so, I'm so thankful for the examples I see in this room of how you sacrificially give your resources. But here's what happens. When a follower of Jesus Christ is obedient to what the Scriptures command you as far as giving of your resources, giving of your money, giving of your possessions, it all comes into the local church here. And then what happens as elders here, I can tell you, 
from conscious experience, and I'm going to be really transparent with you, what we do is we want to leverage those resources for God's glory among the nations, both locally and abroad. And so here's what I can tell you in the year 2019. Last year, we had a banner year at Mill City Church as far as giving is concerned. It was a record year, and we're so thankful for that. Last year, this congregation in regular tithes and offerings gave $327,000 to God's mission. And of that $327,000, almost 60000 of that went to mission, either locally or abroad. On top of that, we have been able to help real people in our local congregation with real needs in their own lives. We're walking alongside of a, a family right now who is in the midst of really financial duress. And, and, and it is our joy to be able to walk alongside of our brother and sister in this way. And because you as a faith family are obedient to God's call and you are obedient to follow God's heart when it comes to your finances and your possessions, when those types of situations arise, we as elders are equipped in enormous ways to be able to be very generous. And so what I want you to see is God's, God's mechanism here. Individual followers of Jesus hold their possessions and their money and resources very loosely, and we give sacrificially 10, 15, 20% more, however the Lord leads you, and you primarily give that to your local church. And as your local church continues to grow and grow and grow in financial resources, that means that we now get to leverage those resources both locally and abroad. In this current budget year, we are about to put before you as a church the most ambitious budget we've ever crafted here among leadership at Mill City. And we're, and we're going to challenge you this year not to look at that $327,000 number and simply be content with that, but to forward look because there are church plants in New England that we want to partner with and help bless and so that they can leverage uh, their gospel influence in their communities. There are missionaries who are continually asking us for our support all around the globe. Right now, we are supporting missionaries in China, in India, in Bangladesh, in, in Austria, in the United Kingdom, and even here locally. And we want to continue that and continue increasing that. And so here's how practically this can look in 2020. <clears throat> Everybody with me? Here's how practically this can happen. Because sometimes we look at numbers and they're so daunting to us because we're looking going, dude, I only got like $924 in the bank and it took me five years just to save that, right? So sometimes it's very difficult for us to, to, to comprehend these large numbers and these large needs. But let me put it where all of us can understand it. In this ambitious budget that we're going to be putting before our members in just a few weeks, here's how that budget can be met. Last year, our church averaged about $27,000 in giving per month. Okay, you got that number? About $27,000 per month. In order to reach this year's very ambitious budget that we are putting forth to you, what it will require is each member or regular attender of our church to say, in 2020, I'm going to give one extra month's offering to the mission of my church. So how does this play out? Instead of giving 12 months, you give 13 months worth in 2020. So if you're a family who gives 
$500 a month to the mission of Mill City Church, then in the coming year, you'll give an additional $500 towards the mission of the church. And then you average that out over the course of 12 months. That averages out to be a little over $40 a month. You see, that's how it plays out. You, you, you look at a family who may be more blessed, and they give on average $1,000 a month to the mission of this church. Then that means that you give an additional $1,000 over the course of the year, meaning that you increase your giving by $75 a month. If everyone in our church, regardless of whether you give $5 a week or whether you give $2,000 a month, if every member and regular attender would increase their giving by one month's gift, then we will meet this very ambitious budget that we are putting forth. And as we increase the giving in our church and we give sacrificially, what that means is we can be even more radical in our giving, our generosity, and advancing God's mission both locally and abroad. You have that commitment from us as leadership. So in 2020, will you be like the early church and guard against mission gift and pray fervently for God's mission? But will you also give sacrificially to God's mission? And then thirdly, let's think about the go. So pray, give, go 2020. Last question. Will you go intentionally? <clears throat> will you go intentionally? Here's where mission drift really comes, uh, really comes to focus. In Matthew 28, Jesus defined the Christian mission for us once and for all. Right after his resurrection, he, he huddles up the disciples and he tells them, make disciples of all nations. Well, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, doesn't he? Acts chapter 1 just a few weeks later, Jesus is about to go back to be with the Father. He's about to ascend back into heaven. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, here's what Jesus told these same disciples. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In those couple of weeks that had transpired since Jesus first talked to his disciples, of what we know as the Great Commission, the commission did not change. As a matter of fact, he reiterated it. He just simply said it in a different way. You're going to be my witnesses here locally, regionally, and even to the other ends of the planet. That's my desire. Now, what I want to show you through the book of Acts in just a couple of places is I want to show you how they obeyed that commission. You go over to chapter 2. This is where Peter, Peter is preaching the first sermon, right? At Pentecost, at the end of that sermon, <clears throat> here's what the text tells us in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right, they're not done. They're continuing to move forward. They are advancing a mission. They are disciples on the move. And as they move, God's mission is moving and advancing with them. In chapter 2, you go down to verse 47, and that summary chapter again, here's what it says. It says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You go over to chapter 4. Peter is preaching again. Peter and John, they are preaching to the crowds. And this time they're arrested because of it, because the leaders are very offended by which they are preaching. You look at verse 4, it says, But many of those that had heard the word believed. 
And the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's just the men. That's not counting women and children who also believed. So you start seeing a pattern in this, in this early church. Now you go all the way over to chapter 11. We're skipping a lot because of time. I just want, to see, I want you to see how this continues to transpire. Because at the beginning of Acts, things are fairly quiet for the early church. But as you just see from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 4, animosity starts increasing. So much so that by Acts chapter 7, a very young, aspiring leader in the early church, a guy named Stephen, he's actually preaching and he is stoned to death because of the message that he's preaching. And as a result of that, the early church is now scattered. The early church is running for their lives. They don't know what's next. If they did that to Stephen, what are they going to do to us? But look at what happens from that scattering. In Acts chapter 11, we pick up in verse 19. And here's where the church at Antioch is birthed. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Just stop right there. Speaking the word to no one. I mean, you just put yourself in their shoes. They've seen things. They've experienced some stuff. And when you see your beloved brother and one of your beloved leaders have his head bashed in with stones and rocks because of the message that he was preaching, wouldn't that cause you to at least question some things? Is this really what I want to give my life to? Do I really believe the resurrection and the gospel story of Jesus Christ? So they're on the move. And so they're speaking, and it says that they were speaking to no one but Jews. But don't miss the fact that they were still speaking the word. So they were speaking the word even in the midst of some fear, and that fear caused them to be very hesitant about whom they spoke it to. But then look at verse 20. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So they start going outside of their, their safety net. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And this is where the church at Antioch was birthed. There is such a great example for us here, brothers and sisters. Regardless of what opposition we may face, regardless of how uncomfortable we may be in sharing and proclaiming, our circumstances cannot quieten us when it comes to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether we are in peacetime, whether we're in wartime, whether we are in safety or whether we are facing danger, the name of Jesus must be on our lips. And I'm thankful for their example I fast forward 2,000 years later, and I wonder, in the American church today, have we convinced ourselves that the Great Commission only applies to those who have been called to vocational ministry? Is the Great Commission only for those who have masters of divinity from seminary or doctoral degrees from our greatest institutions? Is the Great Commission only for those who 
are those serious followers of Jesus who are the SEAL team varsity team that, that we are sending out to the global ends of the earth and they're vocational missionaries. That's who the Great Commission is for. Or when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, did he also mean you? And you. And you and you and you. My Bible teaches me that every one of us has been called. If we name the name of Jesus. Now I want you to know that this isn't going to look the same way in every single person's life. This is going to look differently for different people. It's going to look different for a student. It may look different for a mom or for a dad. It could look very different for a couple without kids. And it looks for a couple with kids. But the commission is the same. And the key to understanding gospel mission as Jesus has given it to us, I believe, is all in that word intentionality. It's in the word intentionality. As a matter of fact, it's inherent in what the word going means. You see, in our English translations, when we see that term go and make disciples, we automatically think that's the imperatival word in the sentence. I've got to get up and go somewhere else on an airplane or a ship or a railroad, and that's how I get the gospel. That's how I participate in God's mission. But don't forget, brothers and sisters, you know we talk about this often at Mill City, that the imperative in that sentence is make disciples. That's your commission. That's your command. That word go is a participle saying as you are going. So what Jesus is commissioning us there is whether you are a student in your suite whether you are a mom dropping off your kids at the bus stop, whether you are a dad sitting next to your coworker at the cubicle, or whether you are a student in the lab trying not to blow things up with putting different elements in the Petri dish, regardless of where you are, you see your giftings, your wirings, your station in life as a strategic platform by which you can make the gospel of Jesus Christ known. And here's what I believe. The primary difference between the Christian who is on mission with Jesus and the Christian who is not on mission with Jesus is that word intentionality. Is because the Christian who is on mission with Jesus is looking at his or her circumstances and is seeing their circumstances, their platform, their living arrangement, their vocation, everything they do as an opportunity, a bridge in order to invite others in, in order to share the love of Jesus, serve with the hands and feet of Jesus, and to proclaim the name of Jesus. Are you going to do this perfectly? Absolutely not. Will you be able to answer every single question that people have? Of course you won't. I can't. But every one of us, out of how he's gifted us, and in the stations where he's placed us, we can intentionally be on mission with Christ. I love what Tony Morita says. He says, the only difference in a believer sitting in his or her American home and a foreign missionary on the field is location, not identity. Every Christian is a missionary. And so each of us should ask, where do I serve and to whom do I minister? 
And so my question to you, brother and sister, is in 2020, how will you do this? How will you do this? How will you intentionally go? Because every one of us in this room, regardless if we believe in Jesus as a 12-year-old or as a 90-year-old, we've been called to be on mission with Jesus. How are you going to do that? Well, for some of you, it could be as simple as taking a first step, and it could be a first step for you to say, you know what, I usually sit in the shadows, I'm usually behind the scenes, but you know this year, whenever there are opportunities to serve, whether it's at Winterfest, you're going to hear about that a little later, whether it's Folk Festival, whether it's at Merklin Elementary School, I want to simply be the hands and feet of Jesus by serving those in my community because I've never done that before. I always say this doesn't apply to me, but I'm going to take those first steps. That might be your first step today. For others of you, it might be, you might be on your campus and you've been kind of praying for your friends. You may be praying for those in your suite You might be praying for those whom you play basketball with in the rec center, but this would be the semester where you say, I'm starting a Bible study in my dorm room. And I'm going to strategically invite these two believers, but I'm also going to invite this one or these two or three non-believers. And we're going to start reading the Gospel of John together. And I may not have all the answers, but I'm going to let Jesus just speak for himself by reading the word with them. You might be a mom or a young professional in here, and you're looking at the other women around you, the other moms at the bus stop, or the other women in your sphere, and you've bought the lie long enough to say that this is for someone else, this isn't for me. But this might be the month, this might be the year that you would branch out and say, I'm going to take a risk, and I'm going to invite some other women to read a book of the Bible with me, and we're going to pray for each other, and we're going to pray for the lost. There are others of you who you may be looking, if you're a student at Spring Break Mission Trip, and this would be the year that you would go partner with Jesus on mission with church planting in a place like Denver. This might be the year, church, that regardless of your station in life, you might look at at a mission trip like our Scotland experience, or you might look at other things that we're doing around New England and praying for new church plants, or you might even now, student, be looking at Christmas in Asia or Christmas around the world next Christmas. I don't know how God might be leading you today to be on mission with him and to be going intentionally. But will this be the year that you say the excuses have to fold? I've got to stop saying this applies to everyone except me. And I'm going to actually take Jesus at his word that he has called me in my setting with my unique giftings, in my unique station in life, to love, serve, and proclaim to others the gospel of Jesus. Here's what I believe will happen. What I believe will happen is that in any heart of any Christ follower, if if you have the mission of Jesus Christ at the forefront of your mind, and you are consistently praying fervently, and you are consistently giving sacrificially, and you are consistently intentionally going, those three things, pray, give, go, is going to guard you from drifting away from that which is central to Christian mission. And not only is it going to guard you from drifting away, it's also going to guard you from thinking that something else is what Jesus has in mind 
instead of simply listening to what he's given us to do. And I'm going to tell you, as a pastor and as a missionary, when I'm looking out here and I think about even one of us praying, giving, and going like I've talked about today, that excites me. But think about this. What would happen exponentially if 200 of us were living like that? What would happen if 200 of us were intentionally praying, intentionally giving, intentionally going, and we leveraged our lives and our prayers and our resources for the sake of the gospel? There is no telling what story God is going to write through Mill City Church. I'm going to share this with you, and then I'm going to sit down and allow us to respond. Here is one of the temptations of human beings. Once we see something become good or get to a place where we ourselves are enjoying something, we get to a place where we're content and we're comfortable. God just has just brought us from an amazing year of transformation in this place. Our facility looks completely different. You've given tens of thousands of dollars to help towards that. We have more seating now. This room is fuller than it was a year ago. That is great stuff. There is real great community that's happening here. We are, we are on mission with Jesus. I want you to know that this sermon today is not even coming from a place of dire need. We're not operating in the red. Like God is blessing us. But I believe that that's one of the most dangerous places for us to be in is because we will get comfortable in our blessing, we'll get comfortable in what we're experiencing, and we will think that we have arrived because we're experiencing and doing what we're experiencing and doing. But the mission never stops. And whatever God does in us and for us, He wants to use that so that He might do something through us. And so what if, think about this, What if all the ways God has blessed us in, and even all the ways we celebrated last year as we thought about our 10-year anniversary, what if all of that was not the end, but was just the beginning? What if what we've experienced here and what we're experiencing now is just but a foretaste of what God would want to do through us? But we won't experience it if we're comfortable. And we won't experience it if we look around and say, isn't this great? Let's be content. And so in 2020, Mill City, let's pray, give, go. Let's pray, give, go individually and as families. And let's pray, give, go as a church. And let's just see what God will do through us. Father, thank you for the example that we see in the early church. Thank you for giving us a blueprint for how to stay focused, to how not to drift. And I pray today, Father, that you would guard my heart. Guard my heart from looking at what others might be doing or or what's happening that might be greener on the other side. Guard my heart from thinking somehow that we've arrived. Father, guard our people. Guard us from being satisfied with what we've experienced. Lord, keep us from drifting. Lord, keep our compass true north. True north on Jesus Christ and true north on the commission you've called us to. And I pray, Lord, that a year from now, 
we'll be looking back and saying, oh, but this is just the start of what Christ is going to do through our church. And so we pray today that you would make a name for yourself through us, plant churches through us, make disciples through us. May unreached people groups come to know Jesus because of what we give and what we pray and how we go here. And Lord, we pray that you would transform the next generation because of what Mill City Church has been appointed to do in this city, on this campus, for your namesake. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.